Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. I've got idea, man. And welcome to this week's edition of Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Brian Kazaskin. Beside me, as always, Ben Durant. We're on the phone with Andrew Blossom. He's the organizer of the Great Southern Twin Peaks Fest. Hi, Andrew. Hi, how's it going? Good. So we're, we are so pumped. Brian and I are going to be attending the Great Southern uh, June 9th through the 12th. Right? Yeah, it, yeah, I'm so glad you guys can make it. That's cool. Yeah. So, so tell us about it. I mean, I, I, I'm excited to hear about what it is, and I'm also excited to find learn about how this whole thing came about, because this is the second season. So... Whichever one you want to take first, what is it, and, and how, did, how did it come about? So it's a four-day celebration of Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks fandom and Twin Peaks culture. And it takes place in Richmond, Virginia, where I live. And it's also, uh, in a way, a celebration of uh, all the great businesses and uh, restaurants that we have here in Richmond, just because it is an event that doesn't take place at any one place in town, but takes place at a lot of cool places around town. So anyone who's coming to Richmond for the event will get to not only celebrate Twin Peaks, which they certainly will be able to do, but also get to uh, see a little bit of what's cool about this city that we really love. So it is both a celebration of the show and a love letter to our city, and it, it is an event, a celebration that really sort of happened by accident last year for our first year. In uh, I am I work at a video store, an independent video store here in Richmond called the Video Fan, cool. and I am an organizer for uh, our screening series, which is called Movie Club Richmond, and is a repertory screening series that we do at businesses around town which is how this idea sort of got started for uh, the Great Southern itself. I went to the Twin Peaks Festival in 2014 for the first time, hmm. and I went because, um, as you guys, I know you know about this, but you know in the original, not in the original pilot, but in the movie version of the pilot of Twin Peaks that was made for European television, hmm. there there is this ending that was tacked on by Lynch and Frost that takes place 25 years later right. in the Red Room. In about 2013, I was watching the show again, and it occurred to me that 25 years later from when they actually filmed the show was going to be the following summer, and I thought, if I if I ever went to the Twin Peaks Festival, that should be it. It should be 25 years after yeah. he yeah. said that. That's awesome. Um, in real life. So I went, I had a wonderful time, I met a lot of wonderful people, and just a very good experience, and I came back to Richmond from that um, experience still thinking about this idea of 25 years later and I realized that the air date was of the pilot was that anniversary was coming up in 2015 mm -hmm. and we just the, the original idea was you know we have movie club we show movies um, let's show the movie version of the pilot to celebrate that anniversary and as we were talking about this we thought well you know if we're going to do this we're probably going to do it at Hardywood Park Craft Brewery, which is a wonderful brewery here in town. It's where our a large part of the Great Southern takes place. We knew it was going to happen there, so we thought that we should have a costume contest. And then my partner at Movie Club said, you know, this band probably wants to play. Huh. And so as we were trying to get the rights from CBS, 
to air the pilot, which, by the way, never happened. They never let us do it. So that part of the the thing never actually happened. But while we were trying to do that, this event kind of grew up around it that went from being a one-day thing to a two-day thing to ultimately a four-day thing. That's awesome. Um, and it kind of happened organically and really by accident. And uh, But then once we did it, it was a great time. People loved it. And, you know, we thought, so now we have to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the series finale, which is what we're doing this year in June. That's awesome. And and, and we're coinciding. Our, our podcast will be, yeah. I think it'll be like the week or so before this event. Well, it'll, it'll be the week of the, of the 10th, which is the 25th anniversary yep. that Brian and I will finish the 20, episode 29. So we'll be just in time. We'll have just yeah. watched we'll watched it and 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 I'll be on a podcast and then we'll be going to the fest. Yeah, very celebrate. exciting. Very it's exciting. Perfect time. Perfect. That is, you know, we're celebrating all obviously all of the show and the film in a way, but the, really the anniversary is this moment in time of that episode that you guys will be finishing on. Cool. And tell us so. Tell us about the events. What is going to be happening this year at the Great Southern? So we actually, it's, we have uh, we have four days of events. We have a lot of great shows, a lot of great live music going on. Um, we have we actually have a preview concert the weekend before for anyone who's around Richmond, where we're also going to be showing Blue Velvet, which is cool. the um, the project that immediately preceded, uh, or you know, the completed project that immediately preceded Twin Peaks. And obviously, there's a lot of there's some continuity there. And mm. then we have a couple of great Richmond bands playing um, that Sunday, June. Usually three or four things every day, but kind of the main event uh, each day is on Thursday night. We're having what we're calling the concert for Agent Jeffries, and it's going to be a David Bowie cover band from Richmond or a tribute band called Life on Mars. And then this great, really great one-man band Richmond act called Goal. So that's kind of the main thing on Thursday, but we're also going to have a happy hour and an art opening for all Twin uh, Peaks-related art. And then Friday is really kind of a a, a full day. We have a uh, you know record store listing party. We have a short film program, so five or six films kind of in the spirit of Twin Peaks, mm. including some premieres, um, short film premieres of new stuff, um, including this, uh, the first installment of Cathedral Park by Travis Blue, who mm. grew up in North Bend when Twin Peaks was being filmed. We have the documentary about the 25th anniversary festival by Scott Ryan, who does the Red Room podcast. Yeah. And uh, then we have some other stuff in that vein of Twin Peaks. Uh, that evening, Charlotte Stewart, who's going to be one of our guests again, is going to do a reading from her new memoir, uh, Little House in the Hollywood Hills. Cool. Um, and then we have we have a panel writing about Twin Peaks. And then that night, Silencio from Pittsburgh is coming down, which is really exciting. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but they, they're a really wonderful group. They do music inspired by the work of Lynch and Battle of Yeah, they sound great. Yeah, so we have that. And then, you know, it kind of keeps rolling into Saturday. We have a, a Twin Peaks craft fair. We have a screening of the Otto Preminger film, Laura, which was in many ways an inspiration for the original Northwest Passage um, mm pilot script uh and then on sunday we're doing this is this thing that we did last year which is the afternoon both wonderful and strange so we're going to have three bands playing um at hardywood park craft brewery we're going to have a costume contest a trivia contest their celebrity guests are going to be there signing and it's just a really great fun afternoon with a great atmosphere um and i can tell you right now that the guests are kimmy robertson and charlotte stewart are both coming back um knock on wood that we're going to have a couple extra people but i'm still working on that. Oh, that's you, exciting. Well, you know, keep your fingers crossed. Is what I, I, will. <laughs> I can tell you for sure. And I was for curious. For sure that Kimmy yeah. and Charlotte will be there and they're they're wonderful. They were they were 
part of the reason that last year was so great because there's such lovely people. Yeah, so, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a full four day weekend of a lot of Twin Peaks stuff. And you know, the one thing that's missing is once again we cannot get the permission to show the actual series finale, so we're just celebrate it in spirit. I think I, I um, feel like I feel like I need to I mean feel like we, we need to get a group of community together and like fight to get that happening or something. Yeah. We still we still got time. We still got a few months or two. <laughs> we, we got a little bit. We got a month. We only got about a month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, they, in the last year, the one thing that they were nice enough to do to explain is why they wouldn't do it finally. You know, they hmm. just totally shut me out. And it's, um, I guess TV rights are negotiated differently than film rights. So oh. once a film is made, they have the ability to sell it for non-theatrical licensing. They just own the rights and can do whatever. But for the TV show, company that owns the rights to a TV show has to go back and get the permission of everybody involved oh, in wow. the show. Wow. And pay, and pay them again. Oh my gosh. Um, and even, this is even if it were for free, if they were like, we're a nonprofit, if we were to show it for free, it doesn't matter. They have to do it or that's what they say they have to do. So hmm. it's like CBS was like, this is too much work for us. We won't right. do it. That's too bad. That's really too bad. Wow. Yeah, it is. So, but, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll still celebrate our love of the of the occurrence and the anniversary. So definitely, um, nice. There's, yeah, there'll be good energy there. Cool. Now, I I'm just curious. I, I saw Kimmy Robertson is going to be uh, Robertson is going to be uh, with the little black rain clouds uh, singing and in, in, in the band there on Sunday. Uh, Will she? I- yeah, she is. I don't know for sure that she's going to be singing. It's okay. a collaboration. Uh, um, wow. They met uh, last year when Kimmy was here, and they have worked something out, and I just know that they're performing. I, I don't know what it is um, exactly, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Cool. And um, but yeah, she will be doing that on Sunday during the afternoon, um, both wonderful and strange. I think we're staying Sunday, Ben. There you go. And I was curious to know, will she be around at all during the rest of the weekend? Or is is, is it mostly Sunday she'll be uh, there? So she she will be around during the rest of the weekend. I don't know cool. if she'll be there on, on Thursday. But sure. I think Friday through Sunday she'll be around. Yeah, I'm really excited about Friday. I mean, I think that's like a really great uh, with the short film program. And then this uh, – there's this whole panel of writers, uh, this writers yeah. panel with Brad Dukes and, and David Bushman and Scott Ryan and John Thorne. And it's like, to me, it's like yeah. the dream team of yeah, Twin really Peaks writers. I mean, what a great group to, to have uh, at the fest. I'm really, I'm really excited about it too. And that is just something that, you know, while when we're doing it again, this is actually an idea that we've had since last year. I started talking to Brad about it last year, but I, I just feel that there's something to be, like, there are, there are ways that Twin Peaks is celebrated beyond just watching it. And there mm. are increasingly a group of people who write about it and transform, I think, all this thought that we put into it into, you know, nonfiction, into literature. And I thought it would just be really interesting to to get a group of people together to talk about it in that sense. And especially with, you know, in a way it's different, but Char- that is part of what Charlotte does in her memoir is talk about her time at Twin Peaks. So she's doing a similar thing coming from a different angle. So it made perfect sense to, you know, create this panel and put it together with um, with her reading. But yeah, we're really, I, we're really lucky to have this group of people to talk about, you know, just the thought that they put into this show. Yeah, right. I, I didn't even say Charlotte Stewart was a part of that panel as well. I was talking about the other writers, but Charlotte, besides Charlotte uh, Stewart reading, she'll also be on that uh, writing about Twin Peaks panel, which wow, is, nice. is, is really yeah. exciting. 
So, you know, a lot of this was is, is underwriting that was put this whole thing together. I mean, it, a lot of it is free. I mean, there's some events that you have to you pay to get into. You want to get into more of that? And there are tickets available on, on the website, thegreatsouthernrva.com. There is a lot of the events for free. Um, that is because, of, you know, we wanted to be... We're getting our support from a lot of great businesses. We really wanted to be a celebration of them in addition to a celebration of the show. So we want to encourage people to come to as much as possible. And then the other thing is, you know, these are places that would be open at these times anyway. So if mm. somebody walks into the bookstore during Charlotte's Reading or walks into the, you know, Hardywood on Sunday afternoon to get a beer, we want them to be able to come in and enjoy the thing that we're creating. So that's so much of it is free. The, the, the things that would be, we would charge a ticket price uh, normally are ticketed. So um, most of the musical events, the, uh, the short film program, you know, things where there would normally be admission. There are there are low admission fees. So all these tickets are available. They're going to be available at the door of the events. They're also available for pre-sale uh, through the website uh, individually. And then we're also selling something called the Northwest Pass. Gets you into the preview show, two shows, there are rock shows during the weekend, the short film program, and also get you your free T-shirt and magazine for twenty nine ninety nine. So that can be pre-ordered at uh, any time leading up to up to the event. And it is, I, I was thinking it's a fifty dollar value, but then I did the math again. It's actually something like fifty six dollars worth of stuff. Excellent. For, Twenty nine ninety nine. So that is available and for pre-sale um, just you know, right up, probably up to the week before the show. Yeah, so I purchased the Northwest Pass and just because I wanted like the t-shirt and I the magazine. Do it, yeah. I you to do it. But I mean, it was, I said, and I feel like it's such a bargain for yeah. what you're getting and, and the experience and, and just to be able to support you guys a little bit. You guys are doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, guys. And um, you know, I if everyone anyone's interested in coming, like you really are getting a lot for you know for that price. So uh, I guess I would say feel free to pre-order one. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, but you don't have to. Like you know, if if someone's on a budget and they they want to come into town, um, even for a day, they're going to be able to go to individual events. Too. So yeah, you've, we've got about a, a, about a month before the event happens. How are you guys doing? What are you guys doing to get ready for for, for the weekend? So it's kind of, I mean, it's weird. It's been a scramble for um, many months. We've been working on this since December, really, is when it kicked into gear again. And uh, there's there's a little bit of a lull right now. Uh, a lot of the internet structure stuff is uh, has been made. I realize I have to make about. 20 Facebook event pages, but I think I might, <laughs> I might wait and do that next week. Um, and then, yeah, I, and then it's just kind of making sure all the physical structure is there um, for everything, which will be in May when we really start working on that. So, yeah, well, I think I think you're catching me in a moment between periods of feeling totally scrambled and overwhelmed because almost all the preparatory stuff uh, is done until we really start really start running in, in the, maybe the three weeks before. But, you know, we're, doing, we're partnering with a lot of businesses, so there are a lot of people who are going to be doing work on their own ends, which makes, makes things easier for us, too. Cool. Brian, do you have questions? I mean, we're, we're going. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm super excited to go. And yeah. we get to meet a lot of people we've had on the show, which yeah, I'm friends very excited. Yeah, friends of the show. Yeah. We'd be excited to have For our... the first time meeting them in person. Um, and 
I'm excited. I, you know, originally me, uh, Ben and myself, our original plan was to leave Sunday, but now I'm looking at Sunday. I'm like, uh, I don't know if we can do uh, that, Ben. There's so many good things going on. <laughs> we might have to leave Monday or leave Sunday night. <laughs> I got to tell you, I think it's worth it. The afternoon of last year was was so much fun, and you know, now you have the added bonus of. Um, so we have Wojo from Brooklyn playing, and Big No, who are from Richmond, and they're both really excellent, fun bands who played last year. So I'm so glad they're going to be there with us. Again again this Sunday of the festival but yeah now you have the added thing of uh, Kimmy playing with a little b- black rain clouds or performing with them and I'm not sure what that's going to be but I think <laughs> maybe the mystery alone is reason enough to yeah. uh, to stay and see maybe we'll have to leave after because it goes from 2 to 6 yeah then. so I think we could you're driving after. so if you can drive yeah it, I'll it, drive just, all you know, night we're, we're, we're in a we're, we're in, in Connecticut. Connecticut so yeah if you want to drive 10 hours <laughs> it's not that bad it's, but it's worth it I'm, yeah, yeah I'm really pumped for it It's it really looks like it's going to be a, a great time that weekend yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, and Hardy was close to the highway, guys, so you can just hop in the car and go. Yeah, go the party. There's hotels available, and there's there's other restaurants and things for people to go to in the area. Yeah, yeah there's. I mean, there's. So we have two hotel links on the website to room blocks. So at um, the Holiday Inn Express downtown Richmond, and also the Berkeley Hotel, which is downtown Richmond. So those are two options that you can get to through the website but there are numerous hotels in the area um there's a new hostel that just opened up in richmond um there are so many great restaurants in richmond there's a wonderful um park system here uh we have the james river which goes through the center of the city it's just absolutely beautiful there's great shopping there's an old historic movie palace called the bird theater which is actually where the short film program is going to take place um, but they do second-run movies all weekend. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot for people who want to come into town and experience more than just the Great Southern. And, you know, I have meant to get a kind of city guide up on the, the website, and that's something that's kind of disappearing among all the moving pieces. But I should I should do that. But at the very least, you know, I can tell you that if people want recommendations and they can, for things beyond what's on the website, they can contact us, and we're happy to share them. Cool. Cool. So I don't know if I should say this on the on the show, but I, I we're, we're hoping that we can uh, come there and record some of the things that's going on. Maybe do some interviews and yeah. meet some people, and that would be really cool for our listeners. I mean, first we want pe- everybody who's listening who can come to the fest, but it would be great if we can uh, maybe have some set up some interviews and maybe record some of the, the event stuff for the show a- afterwards. Yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, you bring your equipment. If you want to do it, I say do it. Take advantage of the uh, of the occasion. And, you know, people are going to be around. A lot of great writers and uh, at least two great actors from the yeah. show. Oh, so that's you so definitely, exciting. You definitely should. Cool. So I think I think that's good. I think, I mean, again, people should visit thegreatsouthernrva.com. That, that has a lot of great information. It really gives you the whole schedule. I mean, there's so much going on. I mean... I, I'm really excited. I know. <laughs> so it's it's gonna be a good time. So thank you so much, yeah, Andrew. So, yeah, thanks. And just I'll just mention that we have that website. We're also on Facebook and uh, Instagram. So there are other ways. And so we are on Twitter. We've been bad about doing it, but it, we are there. So uh, so yes, there are many ways to find us in the coming month, three and a half or yeah, two months. Nice, cool. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, now we have Andreas Helskov. He is film and television scholar and author of TV Peaks. Hey, how are you doing, Andreas? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. You know, I think the last time we spoke, I think it was in October for the UK Fest. Boy, it's been... It's, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's a long time ago, yeah. And I think at that time, uh, 
your the, uh, your book TV Peaks hadn't even come out in the United States yet, so I wasn't even able to get oh, it. Man. And I actually did. I actually requested it. I asked for it for a Christmas present, and I did actually get it. And it's a great, a great book. I, I really love what. Oh, I, thanks. I'm happy it, you say that. Yeah, and I'm, what I like about it is that there's like there's a history of Twin Peaks, but then you also touch on the history of television and how it's possible that Twin Peaks inspired some of these shows. And then you also have yeah. um, fandom. You 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 have a lot of uh, work of other people, and you talk about that and. And then also you talk about other countries and, and their perspective on Twin Peaks. It's a it's really interesting book that you have. Oh, well, thank you. I'm trying to, to sort of put a new perspective on Twin Peaks or to, to introduce something else to uh, to the market of Twin Peaks books. And as you know, this market, just it seems to be ever flourishing. I mean, just now we've, we've had this Paul Grave book come out and now, uh, now John Thorne, right, uh, is coming out with his book too. And we're... And a new book, um, two Twin Peaks FAQ or what it, it was. It, right. That's what it's called, right? So um, it seems, uh, and, and as I've heard, Martha Nochinson is, is also writing a book about television beyond formula, which oh. I suppose will come out just approximately around the time when Twin Peaks will, will return. So, And I suppose, you know, the market will be flooded really with Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks books next year, so oh, yeah. uh, it's as if um, it might have inspired a lot of shows, but it certainly has inspired a lot of scholarship and scholardom, right? Mm. And a lot of books uh, uh, about Twin Peaks. So mine, yes, as you say, is really just as much about a changing TV landscape as it's about Twin Peaks in particular. Uh, as I suppose, I I don't know that I could say all that much more about that show that hasn't been said, but I might be able to put in a, a perspective uh, television, in terms of television history and, and sort of a Scandinavian perspective on it as well. Yeah, you so touch on, you touch on in, in part three of your book, The, the Sca Scandinavian Connection, Twin Peaks in Scandinavia. Can you touch about that? Yeah. It's interesting, like, I always think of Twin Peaks in America, because of course I'm from America, but it's nice to hear a different perspective, uh, other cultures and what they thought of the show. C could you share with us about that? Yeah, well, yeah, of course. I mean, um, I, I thought of that angle as very natural for me, given that I'm from Denmark, and given that I know a lot of Scandinavian people that are interested in Twin Peaks and have always been interested in Twin Peaks. And then I just happened to know uh, some of the television creators here in Denmark that are mm. now making, uh, you know, pre-renowned television series that are also traveling beyond uh, the national borders, going to the States and Britain and, and France. And many of those they usually uh, mention Twin Peaks as sort of a key piece of inspiration. So it seemed to me that uh, it would be natural to sort of go into that a little bit more. It's a well-known fact, at least in Scandinavia, that Lars von Trier was, was inspired by Twin Peaks when he did uh, what is called Ril in Danish, in, uh, I suppose, over, over at your place. It's called Kingdom Hospital. Oh, uh, yes, I've seen that. Something. I like that. Yeah, the kingdom yeah. there, yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly. I think perhaps the kingdom would be the the, the American name for it because uh, there was an American remake mm. was made as well, and, and that's not the one I'm talking about. But the Danish show, sort of that that show by Lars von Trier, became perhaps the cardinal show that that sort of started a golden age of, of Danish television drama. Mm. Um, 
more or less like Twin Peaks had in the U.S. And it has, you know, many of those elements that we know from Twin Peaks, apart from it being made by a great auteur in Denmark, Lars von Trier. It's, uh, it has mysticism. It has uh, an aesthetic that is very cool and slightly creepy, mm-hmm. reminiscent of both Lynch and Tarkovsky. And then it has a blend of a lot of different genres. It, part, partly it's a medical soap. Mm. Partly it's a comedy. Partly it's a, it's a horror show. So that seems kind of like Twin Peaks. And, you know, the main theme of it is that we should not underestimate or try to keep down the irrational uh, element. So the sort of we should not try to uh, repress the subconscious and let that flourish. And that to me seems like a key element of Twin Peaks, too. So but that is well known. And then since that, we've had a lot of shows. Since that point, we've had a lot of shows in Denmark, and many, many, many of those shows are more or less uh, overtly inspired by Twin Peaks, and many of the creators of those shows, uh, you know, even mention it themselves. Not that long ago, I mean, the most recent Danish show to uh, to be successful and also to be sold to the U.S. is uh, a show called Follow the Money. I don't even mm. mention it in the book because it's too recent. For yeah. the, it, it's come out in, in 2016 after the pub, publication of my book. But in one episode from that show, which is by Yevgeny Gram, I also interview him for the book. In one episode, we have a direct sampling of Angelo Badalamenti's uh, Laura Palmer's theme. Hmm. Uh, so that's, and that show isn't really Twin Peaksy at all, but that's just to tell you that, we, I mean, even, even in shows that don't seem Twin Peaks-like, Twin Peaks seems to serve as sort of a, a general piece of inspiration. And then we have this entire wave of Nordic noir shows from Sweden and Denmark in particular, mm. but also Norway is beginning to come into play. And all of those, I mean, all of those really, they, they, they all go back to Twin Peaks. And they wouldn't, I, I'd almost say they wouldn't exist if there were no Twin Peaks. And that's something I, I know I was looking at your book and I was like thinking about like, oh, yeah, I remember I love that show. And I love that show. And I love that show. And I could see what you were saying about how they really did seem to get their inspiration from Twin Peaks. But, yeah, that's really cool. Um, what was I going to say? You, you, you interviewed was like 100 people for this book. Is that correct? Was it like I feel? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And do you have a favorite? Do you have some um, favorite inter- interviews that you did? Well, I, I kind of I like many of them for many different reasons, but of course, uh, I mean, um, talking to many of the, the makers of Twin Peaks was very inspirational to me, mm. of course. And um, I suppose some of the lesser known, uh, more sort of technical workers on Twin Peaks, that was perhaps the most interesting for me, um, though I was, of course, you know, all awestruck when talking yeah. to um, talking to Sherilyn Sen or whatnot, but wow. it was even more interesting to me to talk with, like, say, uh, Patrick McCormick, for example, hmm. who who worked as part of the sound department on Twin Peaks. Because he and, like, say, Douglas Murray that I talked to, who also worked as as part of the sound department, they talked about some very technical things hmm. in a way that, to me, uh, opened up Twin Peaks in a new way. 
and uh, so they gave me sort of a more technical perspective. I think when uh, I don't know what Brad Duke's experience was, and I'd be interested in in hearing from him because mm. he talked to more from the cast, right? But my experience was that when talking to many of them, uh, and they are very open-minded and generous, all of them. But it's 25 years ago, so yeah. many of them seem to. I don't know, to be honest, how many of them actually remember what happened and how many of them refer to stories that are, you know, just now stories. Mm. How many of them refer to uh, stories that have been told to the point of becoming myths uh, mm. or legends, even. Uh, and it seemed that way to me. There were even, there were, I mean, I didn't quote him on that because because I didn't want to make Jonathan Shaw not sound cool. And I really think <laughs> he is cool. He said a lot of very great things. But I mean, I remember asking him a question concerning the editing style. Uh, in a particular scene, we have that scene where Leland, he is um, uh, he is singing that song while driving in his car. Yeah. Or editing, editing, uh, I don't know if he's singing or just humming it. We know that uh, from he's Oklahoma. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, um, sorry, with a fringe on top. Yeah. Uh, and and I asked Jonathan Shaw, uh, what what were some of the thoughts on that one? And he just you know swiftly replied, Oh, you'll you'll have to uh, you'll have to we'll have to give credit to the to David Lynch. We'll have to give credit to the huh. director. Huh. And I corrected him in as friendly a manner as possible, saying, Well. Actually, Caleb Deschanel directed that episode, hmm. and he'd forgotten about that. Right. So, and, um, but that's not to say, I mean, Jonathan Shaw said a lot of very great things. Right. But I mean, it seems to me that many of those that were part of Twin Peaks, because it's such a long time ago, many of them haven't even rewatched the show since then. Some of them haven't even seen the entire show. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, would it be strange if they couldn't exactly remember everything? No, not to me. And especially those, I think, that have been asked and uh, interviewed a lot, like all of the major stars. It seems to me that it would be natural to them to, to, for them to, to sort of fall into classical stories or classical myths or classical urban legends. So we hear those same stories from them, whoever interviews them. It's kind of even difficult to get some of them to diverge or digress from those classic stories that they always tell. And why wouldn't it be? Mm. So that's why when talking to Douglas Murray, who's, you know, very rarely interviewed, even by those who are interested in Twin Peaks and Pat, Patrick McCormick mm. uh, or Paul Trejo, for example, well, then uh, I got some very interesting tidbits of information. Um, it was interesting for me to hear that the, the cross dissolved between Derek Jacoby's eye, ultra close-up of his eye in, I think it's Mark Frost episode, yeah. and then uh, the roulette at, uh, at One-Eyed Jacks. It's interesting for me to hear, it was interesting for me to hear that that, that cross-dissolve was inspired by the cross-dissolve in the infamous shower scene in, in Psycho. And that's something. Uh, wow. Perhaps it was mostly a geeky piece of information, but it was interesting it. to hear that they'd put so much thought into it. It was also interesting for me to hear that uh, Patrick McCormick and, and, and Leslie Lincoln, no, not Leslie Lincoln, glad I like lawyers of the stack, both of them, they talked to me about um, introducing new technology and, and using new technology when making Twin Peaks, and I didn't mm. know anything about that. I didn't know that they just invented new 
uh, like uh, surround sound technology or new sound editing equipment when yeah. Twin Peaks came out and they utilized this new equipment. But that to me too was 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 an interesting piece of information. So it is the technical ones would be the most interesting ones, and then the Danish uh, TV director Charlotte Sealing, who also works in the states, she's worked on Homeland and. Uh, way with pines hmm. she she talked about a thing that i think became sort of an important point in my book that um now in denmark we've sort of reached what seems to be a formula of success dr shows or shows from the major danish uh, network uh, dr they are being sold and exported worldwide but as she says right when we come to have a formula of success the risk is that that formula becomes a formula and when it's become mm. a formula, it might become trite in the end. Mm. So uh, that harks back to that old Tartikoff uh, quote, right? Uh, that uh, trite is true, is dead and buried. Mm. Um, so perhaps, you know, inadvertently, those shows that broke the mold, can they sort of created a new formula that is now being uh, perhaps repeated uh, on end. And I hope uh, that Twin Peaks will be able, once again, when it returns to to not fall into that formula, to, to do something else, something new. Uh, however much I just want a nostalgic return, I yeah. want Twin Peaks to be new. I agree, definitely. And I, I think I mean, I think a lot of people tried to keep, uh, copy David Lynch, but he's so unique in, in his style that I don't think he can copy it. He can't be no. genuinely true to what he does. And I, I, can't see, I can't see them falling that way. I don't know. No. So, no, I don't think it's possible at all to copy. And, and, and I don't try to make that point either in my mm. book. I mean, many have been inspired by him and influenced by him. Right. But those shows that are most interesting are the ones that sort of take elements from Twin Peaks and they do something completely different. Those that try to, you know, copy it too much, mm, usually they just seem quirky in a sort of a strategic way. Yeah. And it seems too intentionally peaksy uh, in a way that, that seems inauthentic. We don't want that. I mean, we want shows that are interesting. And I'm, I I think many of the ones that worked on Twin Peaks, they even said that, that at least during the second season, and I suppose this too is an urban legend or a story that we've heard before, but a lot of directors came in, right? And some of them are also the script writers. They tried to you know, make something that was similar to that Lynchian thing. So uh, some of the episodes during the second season, you'll know a lot about this, became quirky in a way that perhaps wasn't mm. really quirky in the same way. I don't mm. know really that quirky is what David Lynch's style is. Mm. I mean, uh, I think that I really like Martha Notchinson's way of describing his work. Really, mm. I think he is he's giving us unfiltered realism in a way, but that it's just a kind of realism that seems strange to us mm. uh, because, uh, I mean, we're not used to those kind of off-the-grid people or to log ladies, but right. those of us who are from small towns, we will recognize those huh. people as not just quirky parts of the show uh, or quirky one you know, one-bit characters, but as actual living beings in an actual fleshed-out world. Um, and the the worst, most run-of-the-mill-like remakes of Twin Peaks that are not remakes, but, you know, inspired by it. Right. Our shows like in Denmark, we had a, a, a very, very, very popular show called Island Cup. Hmm. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, 
you you can just I mean you can YouTube it. You can find what well, in Denmark it's called Spritzer for Samsu. And if you were to find that on YouTube, just listen to the <laughs> to the title sequence, uh, uh, to the music. Wow. It's so evident that Finny Hirschkopf's theme in that one is inspired by Badalamenti, and the, the entire story of it is a, is, a, is a cop coming to a small island investigating a murder, right? Hmm. And then it becomes sort of more episodic, and a lot of murders occur, right? But I mean. And during that investigation, he stumbles upon uh, a strange forest with owls, right? And there's mm-hmm. uh, even a woman carrying a lock. Oh, in the gosh. Show. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah, that to me, uh, although I like talking to the creator of that show, that to me becomes an uninspired uh, strategic remake of sorts mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks. And that to me is uninteresting. But real or... Kingdom Hospital, or whatever we call it, yeah. that is an interesting show influenced by David Lynch, but taking it somewhere else. Just like, you know, True Detective clearly yes. uh, harks back to Twin Peaks, Definitely. but takes it somewhere else, too. Right. I even think you you just you mentioned earlier too uh, Wayward Pines. It definitely, at least at the beginning of Wayward Pines, they have a fan that's go, spinning around, and there's definitely things that I feel like this feels very yeah. much. The characters are you know, there's a character uh, sheriff licking ice cream. It seems like very Twin Peaks ish, and then eventually I think as the series goes, it kind of finds its own path. But I, yeah. I, I do find a lot of those shows seem to be inspired by mm. Twin Peaks. Yeah, Way- Wayward Pines. I mean, even the trailer uh, used when they were sort of launching the show. Mm. I mean, it seemed to to reemploy or use some sort of almost iconic signature-like shots from Twin Peaks. We have, um, but I suppose the show, as you say, gradually it moves away from that. But yeah. it begins as something that seems like. Um, the dubious uh, child of Twin Peaks in a way that I, I don't, I didn't know exactly how to take it at first. But I think it becomes gradually better as it becomes mm. more independent, or, yeah. or it sort of, you know, um, gets away from its father's footsteps. Because I think <laughs> Twin Peaks is is undoubtedly the father of uh, the real father or grandfather, perhaps more so, mm. of Wayward Pines. And I think right. that M. Night Shyamalan has even said that himself. Mm, so uh, I think you're right. Yeah, uh, so, just like uh, you know, for Bruderson or The Killing, uh, the Danish version of yeah. that. Um, I remember having read a lot of articles about The Killing in the U.S. being mm. sort of inspired by uh, Twin Peaks, but and I mean, the Danish show that uh, was the original version of The Killing was overtly and intentionally inspired by Twin Peaks. Mm. The, the, the very idea of of opening the first episode with sort of a classical dead girl show mm. of Chris J, but we have a dead girl in the beginning. But then what he took from Twin Peaks was the idea that we have a dead girl and it's not only about the solution of the crime. It's really much more about this, this how does her death affect a lot of people? Mm. And if you watch, I mean, that's I think really that's what's so interesting about the pilot episode of Twin Peaks. Um, for the first, I, at least the first perhaps... 30 or 40 minutes yep. of the first show of the first episode it's really much more about people being affected by the loss of lore than it's about the actual murder case yeah cooper's not <laughs> even in the, right cooper's not yeah. introduced for like a half hour into the no, pilot he, yeah, yeah. And he enters half an hour into the first episode <laughs> right. or something like that right so and and i think that was what they took and and used for uh, in, in for Blues or the killing uh, but then 
his son Smiley, who's the creator of that show, he said, "Well, I wanted to take that from Twin Peaks, but then I wanted to make something that, in his eyes, right, mm. uh, is better than Twin Peaks. I don't mm. think that it is. No. He thinks so. Right. Uh, and he he argued that, well, the the least good thing about Twin Peaks is that it sort of goes into different tangents during the second season. It should have been." Uh, sort of more of a limited series like True Detective. Mm. Uh, and so that was what he did with Wilson. So each of the three seasons is sort of a new crime. Mm. It's, so it's not an episodic murder of the week show, but it's uh, one season, one uh, right. crime. Yeah. Uh, and that then in turn inspired perhaps True Detective or became sort of a modern trope, I suppose. Yeah. And it's funny, the U.S. version of The Killing, it, it, it ended the first season and we didn't know who ki- who the killer was. And there was uproar about that. I mean, I don't think it was as much uproar probably as Twin Peaks, but I remember yeah. seeing the U.S. version of The Killing and people were like, what? We don't find out who the killer is? And then and when they got to the second <laughs> season, they did reveal that. And yeah. I, d- I thought it was, I felt very, the U.S. version I saw and I saw the inspiration of Twin Peaks, similar to, to what you're talking about, that the, it's about the community. And, yeah. and this is the gateway into learning more about these people people's lives uh, yeah Andreas tell me also about like the fandom you have a whole section about like you see their artwork yeah. and you get a whole yeah share with us about that in the book yeah well first of all I'd, I'd say that it's difficult to go into fandom mm. especially when you're a fan yourself <laughs> I, I suppose right. I, I I became I became a scholar but I started studying film mainly because I watched Twin Peaks at a very young age. Hmm. Uh, that was my main key of inspiration. That was why I started uh, ever wanting to study film. And and uh, after watching <laughs> Twin Peaks, I was nine when that came out and I started hmm. watching it. I watched The Race Ahead immediately after. And there was something that I really didn't understand, but that sort of led led to my film studies, right? So I became a scholar because of my fandom of Twin Peaks, and, and I'm, I suppose, uh, I'm a, a part of this perhaps unified, perhaps scattered community of fans, so I'm sort of from the inside trying to describe what's going on in this group, hopefully being, being uh, loyal in a correct enough degree to other fans, because uh, I, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Hmm. Uh, but I'm trying to describe what what do fans do and how do fans connect with Twin Peaks. And I see Twin Peaks as, apart from perhaps Star Trek, I see it as not only was it new when it came out in terms of how to tell stories in its serial structure or in its um, in its mm, very interesting use of genre hybridity or its very interesting style. It was also new, I think, in terms of uh, of the way fans connected to it and the fact that a lot of different parts of the story or the story world expands different media. I think that's, that was new yeah. in a way that we are now seeing people try to utilize in a very strategic manner, but Twin Peaks did it in a much less, it seems, strategic and systematic way, in a mm. much more authentic way. Yeah. And so I think that there are a lot of fans that connect with the show in a very deep way. Uh, and uh, on the positive side of that, I mean, uh, people they really have a strong sense of community when talking about Twin Peaks and they delve into it and there's a lot of creativity at work in that group. But then on this sort of slightly less positive side of things, some fans have a sort of immense sense of ownership over Twin Peaks and I suppose mm. a lot of us do that. I suppose 
we can all relate to that feeling that, uh, well, somebody uh, who perhaps wasn't even born during the first uh, airing of Twin Peaks, they suddenly start talking about it. And you might feel that sting of, well, uh, I mean, he wasn't even born. <laughs> the first airing. I, uh, I mean, who's he to come here and say something about oh. it or whatnot? And there are some fans that, that feel that in a very sort of strong way and who have a very, to me, slightly at least, rigid idea mm. of what Twin Peaks is about and who should perhaps be really more open-minded in terms of, of uh, different interpretations. I think that would be uh, lynching, uh, yeah. opening up to different uh, readings and that other people's perspective, even those who, who were not, you know, First wave fans of Twin Peaks. Right. It might they they might be just as much a fan of everyone else, and it's not. I mean, it's not a competition, but for some it seems to be, and and perhaps not that strange because we all identify with that show that has that we've come to like and love, uh, and some it has come to define uh, almost the lives of some people as it has almost come to define my life. I mean, mm. uh, so. So it's not that I do not connect with that feeling. I think I'm actually pretty close to it, that feeling myself. But I can understand, too, why some, peop some people like Charles uh, de Lanzarica, who made some of the extras and features for the DVD release, Gold Dogs release, right? Mm. I can understand why he, would, he, too, would feel a little annoyed that there were some people, and I don't know who they are, so I, I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but... Um, he he uh, he said uh, when I talked to him that there were some people who were even mad that he got to do those extras and he got to produce wow. those featurettes because why why weren't they asked to do it right <laughs> and I mean I suppose we can all feel we are the real experts on this subject right so when people I mean and I suppose I could even to be honest I might even want to shut off the, some of the Danish television channels next year when mm. they, you know, introduce any odd person as Twin Peaks expert next year. <laughs> and I don't get called. But, 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 right. uh, but that, that sense of ownership, yeah. uh, we should try to, should try to perhaps just ease up a little bit on that. I agree, but I agree. It, on the positive side, I, I compare the fandom of Twin Peaks to that classical, we, we all know that vision of light speech by Major Bricks. I think that could even describe the, um, the Twin Peaks fan community. That mm. it's, just, it's sort of like returning or reuniting yourself with the deepest wellspring of your beings for some people. And it's almost as if Twin Peaks were a big house, a house that has been immaculately maintained. Hmm. Extra rooms have been added to the house, but right. in a way that blends so seamlessly with the original construction that one would not detect any difference. I like it's that. If the different fans, you know, uh, they, they like Jennifer Lynch has done, done with her book, like Lynch has done with his Fire Walk With Me, fans have added a lot of new houses, or not houses, but not a lot of new rooms to that house. Mm, a great uh, mansion or story world. And it seems that kind of community where we all create collectively and we delve into something uh, intellectually as if we were forensic fans or whatever, that kind of community, I think, is worth a lot. And uh, I think it would be fair to say that 
for a lot of people, just thought he told me that, right? Um, Jared Lean too. But I've had that same experience that for many people in the Twin Peaks community, they found uh, not only a network, not only like-minded people, but uh, friends or companions for life. Mm. Uh, so that's worth a lot. That kind of community, I suppose, you, you don't find it everywhere. And, and only because Twin Peaks is such a mythological story world and it's such a great story, that's the only reason people still go into that world in that, in that way. Otherwise, yeah. we'll just watch the show like you do with True Detective and then it will disappear. Right. Talking about community, uh, you're, you've got a video essay that's going to be making a theatrical release uh, at the UK uh, Twin Peaks Fest this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the mo- yeah. moving pictures, the visual reference, and artistry in the works of David Lynch. Can you talk about that? I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. Could you share a little bit about your, uh, your video essays? Yeah, well, we've done a few video essays uh, for 16 or 16 by 9 and I've done a series of three video essays on David Lynch and trying to get around uh, as many of his different works as possible and different angles also. So the first one was called Competing Moods and it was about, in particular, sort of, it was in particular, uh, particularly it was about one scene from, from Twin Peaks, but it sort of also included elements from Wild at Heart and Blue Velvet, and it uh, was about uh, the use of music in his work. And then there was one, which, uh, What's the Frequency, David, and which was mm. about the use of noise as sort of a, not only a theme and a motif, but also as an actual sonic device in his work. And then this, this one that you mentioned uh, is about the visual references, or in particular how David Lynch's work seems to be inspired by um, images by art, uh, artful images, paintings, but also by you know uh, photographs and a lot of different things. So, I and we know that from David Lynch himself that he sort of thinks of uh, films as, as a, in a way moving pictures and moving mm, paintings. Right. He's uh, sort of he's described his own films that way, and and even so, I think we as analysts or scholars or whatever we call ourselves, we have a tendency to want to semiotically describe everything in its work or even psychoanalytically to describe everything in its work. Mm. Uh, whereas it, it seems to me that often the point of departure in Lynch's films and shows is not necessarily what does this mean. Mm. Uh, it's perhaps more so uh, an image Uh, a striking visual uh, reference and then it sort of snowballs from there it perhaps it 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 gets meaning but it begins with something something which is interesting in its own right as a visual phenomenon Uh, and i argue that there are references to a lot of different things in his work i mean many people will know that he is uh, overtly uh, inspired by Francis Bacon and Edward Harper mm. and such painters, right? But I argue that he also is inspired seemingly at least by uh, a Danish uh, painter called Wilhelm Hammershoi, who's made a painting that to me is pretty similar to a classic shot, Mulholland Drive, just before the entire um, plot is sort of changed and before the different characters are recast into new roles. Hmm. It seems to me that that um, shift in tonality and 
fits with the reference, it seems to me, that it is to Hamas uh, painting, which is he's a part of what is called bleak realism in Denmark. I don't know that that is a reference. I can't say for sure, and we would have to ask David Lynch, and he yeah. might just say it's bullshit, right? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we can't ever say. But right. but I play. It's all sorts of sort of. I suppose mostly my video essay is sort of a playful way of engaging with David Lynch's work and trying to find visual references and and reminiscences in his films. We also have what it seem, seems to be references to Suspiria in the end of Fire, Walk With Me, that old Dario Argento horror movie. Uh, they are, at least there are striking, striking resemblances that they are not actual references. Hmm. So that's my main main point. And, and it's sort of uh, that, I'm, I was actually pretty amazed that that particular video essay got such a positive feedback because the other video essays that I've made have sort of a very clear cut point and that I try to develop. This one is sort of intentionally digressive and, uh, and intentionally, you know, I just um, sort of almost ramble on into tangents. And I even argue that there's a reference to Abba's Mamma Mia video. And I, I, mean, saw, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so, I thought that was hilarious when that, you did that. Uh, yeah, that was great. That perhaps is a bit far-fetched, yeah, but I'm just uh, playing around with it. And uh, I mean, that part of it, right. uh, I suppose David Lynch would, would like the fact that, you know, he's trying to open up um, the visualness and the aesthetic of Lynch's work. That mm. there, there are two things to me that we should never forget when speaking of David Lynch. It's, it's, um, it's tonality or, uh, you know, tone, and then it's, it's uh, aesthetics. Uh, and to me, many people um, spend far too much time trying to explain mm. or explain away everything as terms in terms of psychoanalytic yeah. uh, analytics and, and stuff like that. Whereas I'd like us to just, just delve into uh, films based sensual experience. Well, people should do what they want to, but that that's sort of how I go about it. Yeah. That's great. Well, it's really exciting that y y you went to Twin Peaks UK last year, the festival, and now you come back and you'll be showing uh, your work. I mean, I think that's a great honor to be able to, to do that. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, um, well, uh, I'm I'm pretty amazed that it slipped through with all the Concord errors and whatnot. <laughs> and I mean, I suppose just like a Slavoj Cizek, you know, uh, who's made that per the Pervert's Guide to the Cinema, whatever it's called. I mean, I suppose part of the very interesting, uh, very interesting element to his to his documentary is the fact that he speaks in sort of an affected kind of not native-like <laughs> way, mm. I suppose. So, uh, but uh, I would have wanted to have those uh, slight linguistic errors removed. But uh, I'm, I am, of course, in awe of the fact that the Lindsay Bowdness uh, has, has chosen to include it. Yeah. Um, well, I hope we can have you back on. I think it's in November that the, the UK Fest will be. It would yeah, be great definitely. to have you on again and, and, and you can it share is. with us uh, your experience of being able to show that to uh, the wide audience there in a theatrical uh, release. That's awesome. That's Congratulations. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's thank, nice talking to you. Yeah, it was good talking to you. I was, yeah, and do you want to plug anything else? You have your you have the, the Red Room, uh, uh, the Red Room podcast, sorry, the Red Room uh, you ha uh, blog you have, or at least that's the English translation, right, That's that you do? Yes, yes, it is. It's called... Uh, the room, which is a, the the Danish version of the Red Room, it's also a reference to an author called uh, Spender, 
uh, who's made uh, the Röder Rom, which is a, a Swedish text with the, the Red Room as, as its title, just in Swedish. Hmm. So, uh, but it refers to those two and not to Fifty Shades of Grey, as some people have asked. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, yes, no. I suppose that much of what is uh, on my blog, which is of course you can freely uh, without charge, go to that one and look at it. But much of it wouldn't be, I suppose, interesting to English readers since it's in Danish, most of it. But there are a lot of interviews. I originally started the blog mainly because a newspaper journalist and reviewer of my book, he liked TV peaks, but he would like uh, to be able to read some of the, uh, the interviews in full. Um, and so there you go. Yeah, well, uh, let's so see. I was yeah. just going to say what I did is I, I went to Google Translator and I was able to translate uh, the the blog. So anybody that can't you know can't read this, go to Google Translator and put the URL in, and uh, nice. you'll be able to you be able to read your your blogs, your posts there. Yeah, uh, if anything, you can. If, I mean, you can find some interviews. Yeah. And, you know, with the different cast members, and those are in English, of course. So, uh, but um, yeah, uh, but I suppose there are so many sources out there on Twin Peaks, and it seems to me that I've just ordered uh, ordered uh, John uh, Thorne's book, and mm. I've just uh, ordered David Bushman's book, and, uh, and I just look forward to reading all of them. I got Dennis Lynn's book in just, just uh, not that long ago, so it seems, um, I mean, books on David Lynch and Twin Peaks. So many are, resources. Yeah, so many resources, and and, and that's so lovely. Uh, all of them seem to me, at least so far, I've read a lot, right? But they, they seem to me that they put something new to the table, each of them. So um, so I'm looking forward to reading whatever else is, is, is coming. And, uh, yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing you guys talk. John, too. Uh, oh, thank he, you. He's, a, he's, a, he's quite a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, wrapped in plastic. Uh, everyone should, you know, give a shout out to that magazine. It's great uh, magazine. What a central resource that has been. It really mm-hmm. has. It's something else. And, and yeah, I just got the book, uh, yeah, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic Pathways to Twin Peaks, his book. It's great. I mean, he, he got the Essential. Oh, you got it already. I just ordered it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did like one day one day shipping. I was like, I want it as soon as possible. I, I'm amazed you got it. <laughs> I know. I got it. So, so yeah, how, I, definitely, I definitely can how recommend cool it. How cool is that? I would yeah. so much like to read it. I mean, uh, because I don't have all the wrapped in plastic yeah. magazines. Uh, um, you know, back when they started coming out, I was very young, as I said before, so I didn't have a PayPal account or anything. Uh, so, and when finally I got uh, the possibility to purchase stuff online, many of those magazines were almost impossible to 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 get a hold of. Yeah, I don't know if you know about this, but um, Craig Miller, who who co uh, co uh, edited and and created the magazine, yeah. his father uh, has a website wrappedinplasticmag.com, and he's selling um, old issues of Wrapped in Plastic, and some of them are there. There are some that are just six dollars. I mean, there's some not bad at some, all. Some, some, I mean, some yeah, of them are like yeah, I have found some of them. I have also bought yeah. some of them, but I mean, it's there are some some of them, or having many of them that are sold out. It seems. Yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, I mean, uh, such a central resource. Um, but to have it all in one place, the essential stuff in this book, it, it, yeah, it, that's it, cool. You're gonna love it. So before I go, do you want to share anything else? What you're doing? Any, any, what you're? Are you any other video essays? If they're not David Lynch, uh, Twin mm. Peaks related, that you're working on, or 
Yeah, well, uh, I'm sort of working on an idea um, together with uh, Joe Baco. Yeah. And we're sort of uh, working on an idea. We want to make a book on Mark Frost. That is awesome. So, uh, wow, nice. That's like a dream um, team. You guys would be great together. Yeah. I would, uh, yes, I, well, I, we've talked about it together uh, for a little while, so it's sort of all, it's all fresh, right? But, but, but um, I came to think of it just after releasing TV Peaks that, um, wow, why is there no central monograph on, on Mark Frost? Hmm. And, uh, I mean, he's such a, a cool uh, TV creator, and, um it's such a central part of Twin Peaks, I'm pretty sure of it. And there are elements in Twin Peaks that uh, I, like many other people, uh, tend to just naturally ascribe to David Lynch. Well, who knows? Some of it might be, you know, might come from Mark Frost. So mm. somebody should delve into his work much more, um, you know, uh, much more in-depth, much more intently. And so that's what we wanted to do to really go into everything he's made. He's not yeah. made that much mm. uh, in, 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 uh, you know, in comparison with David Lynch. So right, more books than, uh, than film. Yes, and so, but it should be possible to look through everything he's done, both in terms of television, films, and, and books, and, and uh, hopefully to find sort of a, 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 you know, there must be a kernel or a center of uh, interest there that, that I have not yet been able to figure out what it is. Uh, and so I would want to interview me and Joe, of course. We would want to interview some of the people who know Mark Frost. Yeah. Some of them are also acquaintances of David Lynch, but some of them uh, have, well, different connections to Mark Frost. So let's see how it goes. But yeah. that's sort of in, in the very early stages, and some might, you know, come before us. We don't know, and, and that might make it... Make it <clears throat> slightly less relevant if, if another book on Mark Frost comes out next year or whatever. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I'd <laughs> but definitely be interested. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'm really interested with Mark Frost and like, he, he did bring a lot of different people into the show. Like he brought his brother-in-law and his, his, his father and his, his brother yeah. wrote and like to see all these different people that he brought in that, that was him. I'm really fascinated by that yeah. and, and how I think that really shaped the show, you know, having that yeah. connection. I also am interested, and Joel had brought this up before, that I, in some book it mentions that Mark Frost had a summer home, and in that summer home, in that town, there was a killing, and it was similar to Laura Palmer killing, Are and they? that seemed to be the inspiration possibly oh, for Twin oh. Peaks. I need oh, I was, uh, Oh wow! I don't know. We so need to get we need to get that book. We need to find out from Joel exactly yeah, where that well, comes from. Yeah, uh, but I but I, I oh, wow, that's so interesting. But I, I <laughs> well, Joel did did say one thing to me because we came to talk about that opening scene of the second season with uh, uh, Karl Stroitzen, you know, the the giant who was also very cool to talk yeah. with, and that opening scene, which to me seems so extremely Lynchian. Mm. The, the pacing is slow, and we have that uh, Hank Warden character. Yeah. The, the I've heard about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I yeah I heard about you, and, and thank you, thank you kindly, and whatnot. Like, yes, and we and I think of that as very Lynch, and I think I argue that in TV Peaks too. Mm. But uh, Joel, he said to me, and I haven't seen it, so I'll have to go and watch it for myself. That in an episode of Hill Street Blues, there is a slightly similar scene. Huh. Uh, and we have a character repeating this 
I think it's I heard about you that that one uh, that particular line oh, yeah. too, huh. and sort of entering a room a couple of times. So, so but I don't know that that is true. I haven't, uh, and and I might be misquoting Joe. Uh, so if if it's not entirely true what I'm saying right now, it's it's not his fault. It might be my my recollection. But we did talk about that scene that seems so very lynching hmm. in any case. That scene might in fact be Prostian. <laughs> and so that would be interesting for me to sort of to go into that we might have some preconceived ideas as to what Lynch has brought to the table and yeah. what Frost has brought to the table. Uh, was, was Frost really only, you know, that guy tending, uh, uh, tending the vehicle and, uh, or just sort of putting the wheels on it or, or, mm. or tending the narrative? Or was, was David Lynch really the only visual and, and, and oral visionary on yeah. that team. I'm not sure that's the case, but uh, it would be interesting to sort of find out. And uh, with Joel yeah. on my side, I'm, uh, I, feel, feel pretty, I feel pretty, uh, I feel that I'm in, in, in good hands there. So, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Andreas. Uh, your book, you, everybody, uh, TV Peaks, you got to check it out. It's a great story. Just historically, I, I love it. Yeah. I love the, the fandom art and all the pictures in there is, is great. And there's just, yeah, there's stuff, there's history I don't know about that when I recommend. When I finish the show, I'll get you, to read You're it. welcome to borrow it. I have to borrow it. Oh, you should get your own I copy. I get my own get copy. Your own copy. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andreas. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to Andrew and Andreas for being on the show. It was great having you both on. You can find us at Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Twitter and like us on Facebook, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. And we're on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and comment us, please. I thought we'd end the show with a clip from Andreas's video essay, Moving Pictures, Visual Reference, and Artistry in the Works of David Lynch. Most narrative filmmakers begin with the story then try to figure out how to illustrate the story, as the film scholar Charles Ramirez Burke puts it. But Lynch begins with an image, and the story is secondary. It's not primary at all. If you're asking the narrative question, what does this mean? What was the story about? Maybe that's the wrong question to ask. You're going to get a lot more out of it if you appreciate the image and the primacy of the image. This notion is central to my video essay. Yet I will argue that the visual and painterly references serve a number of different functions in the works of David Lynch, including 1. A playful way of engaging the audience, 2. A reminder of the ambiguity within every picture and situation, 3. A visual enigma or attraction. <laughs>